0: I'm Tegan. I'm Megan. And this is The Office Hours, the podcast where two literature professors analyze the great American story. Hi, Megan. Hey,
1: how are you doing, Tegan?
0: I'm great. I'm ready for this episode.
1: All right. All right. Season three, episode 21. We're actually nearing the end of season three.
0: Are you serious? How many more episodes?
1: Mm, Can't remember. Maybe four more, three more, something like that.
0: Yeah, that sounds right. Um, Yeah. Oh man, that's it's crazy. That's going to be an exciting moment to like look back. Mm-hmm. I like the last time we did like a review of our Dundee's. We did a we did like a pod that was about the whole season,
1: right? Yes, I think we did. Did we wow. do two pretty- or just one? I, because I think we did a Dundee special, yeah, like the Dundee Data special, <laughs> and then some other Annex episode. So we should think about that a little bit, maybe as and, we uh, as we begin to see the end of season three on our horizon. Where do we want to go?
0: Yeah. And listeners, if you have any end of season um, you know, specials that you would like us to consider or incorporate, you got good ideas for a segment or or some kind of reflection, write in uh, at the best hours podcast at gmail.com and we will uh yeah, take your ideas into consideration.
1: Yeah. I think one thing you've proposed in the past was the Corellaverse, <laughs> where we branch out to see some other
0: yeah.
1: things and talk about them. So
0: that's. Oh, that up. could be fun. I, I really remember wanting to do the like, um, like a uh, taste tour of the office where we would like.
1: Oh, yeah. Some
0: of the things, have some of the drinks that were featured in the season or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, mm-hmm. Although I don't know exactly how we would do that or what the, what commentary we would have about it, but that would be an option.
1: We usually find something to say.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, well, uh, shall we head over to accounting?
1: Yeah. Because do do you have any regrets? I did when I did the listen back before posting the episode and then I forgot about them. Me too. Okay, perfect.
0: <laughs> I had serious regrets after last episode. Really? Yeah, I was like you
1: Didn't write them down.
0: I didn't. I am the worst. Um it no, I honestly think that. it was just about my vibe. Like I felt like I was really tired last episode or something. I remember feeling like uh, uh like totally um I don't know, fuzzy by the end of
1: it. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I felt like that I felt like that too. That reminds me one of my revisions and regrets. This was a minor one. But it was, and it's also fuzzy now in my memory. But there was a word I was really looking for, and I couldn't find it, and it was insult. Oh, okay. And uh, so we can go back and fill in that blank. But now, because I didn't write it down, I don't even know what the context was. I just remembered that somewhere I had this note to myself that was like the word was insult, but I didn't fill it back in. I think some of our own accounting practices need to be improved.
0: Yeah, I need to do better. Uh because <laughs> when I edit the episode, I listen and I take it into consideration and then but then it's it's quite some time and I should really be yeah. taking notes. But I will say one thing I cut out of the episode that um uh this is like a little you know behind the scenes peek or whatever is that uh I accidentally used my old name in the <laughs> midst of talking to you and had to go in it not only did I have to cut it out but like I didn't even notice it and you had to like interrupt me and be like uh you mean Tegan and I was like right that is my name um so uh in case anybody out there is still worried about (laughs) accidentally misnaming me uh no worries I I am still adjusting
1: (laughs) but we can all share we can all share that experience
0: yeah I, I mean but like you know I, I was like who do I apologize to how do what do I do with this like, <laughs> um so I cut it out um uh, who do I apologize to yeah.
1: <laughs> maybe you could learn something from um Michael and his apology videos
0: <laughs> yeah. oh I'm excited to talk about <laughs> it you know I paused and I was like I know Megan is going to expect that I have read those note cards carefully. And so I paused and I made detailed notes and thoughts on the on his cue cards. Um
1: oh, I can't wait for that. I don't think I made enough notes about his cue cards.
0: I just always project like what your expectations of me are, you know, okay. I assume they're very high and demanding. So Yeah. Um okay, well, if we've got no revisions and regrets, where where do you want to go next?
1: I have an item for it's sort of the receptionist desk and it's sort of office news. Don't you have a little sound that you do when we transition to office news?
0: I don't remember like, what it was, but do <laughs> do do
1: do 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 that. Oh, <laughs> okay, yeah, there you Welcome go. To the news line. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> so this is a um breaking news story that comes from my brother. Oh, currently. There was recently, so they they send out these um, updates each year when new words are added to the dictionary. Mm. And just this year, an important word was added to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. Oh. And that word is nerf, the verb. What? Yes. No way. timing. Nerf, the verb, exactly. Yeah. So, let me just uh, read you some definitions here. So, nerf. Verb in its other forms, nerfed, nerfing, and nerfs. It means to reduce the effectiveness of something, such as a character, attribute, or weapon in a video game. Okay, so it could be used in a video game context specifically to reduce the effectiveness of something.
0: Oh, okay, okay.
1: More broadly, to make something less useful or effective. Huh. Also, to lightly bump another car in an automobile race. The sample sentence for that is, I don't know if he did it on purpose or not, but when he nerfed me up out of the way about eight laps in, I didn't appreciate it a whole lot. And then here's one other example of its use in Forbes. In an attempt to nerf users who abuse dribble moves and the turbo button for less than realistic results, 2K23 introduces the concept of adrenaline boosts. That was too much video game language that I actually couldn't entirely follow but yeah, my
0: brain my brain fuzzed out there.
1: yeah me too, but um what a fun fact is this that nerf has made it into the dictionary
0: that is really incredible uh, uh do you have a theory on why it surely couldn't have originated from the office could it.
1: I well you know what in the office. I think they use it as an adjective and not as a verb. And as I'm looking, right. up, they don't actually have an adjective form here. So maybe I should write into Miriam Webster and suggest that something is missing. And here are some particular usages from like 2008 of using nerf as a verb, because, yeah. or I'm sorry, as an adjective, because yeah. Daryl describes it as a nerf, like a, a cushy little nerf life.
0: Right, right, right. And
1: Michael also also uses it in that way you know you you like you called me nerf so mm. nerf in that mm. case is not a verb but is an adjective that can describe a person or a lifestyle or something like that so yeah happy to see it in the dictionary but also recognizing that there is some information that's being missed i think
0: what surprised me is i sort of especially because it sounds like it's in a, like a video game idiom or vernacular mm-hmm. or something um I, I sort of anticipated it would be, uh, I don't know, fundamentally sexist or something like that. Um, Mm -hmm. and perhaps it's used in, in that way, or could be in the way that we talked about it, like with Daryl, it's not that Daryl is inherently saying that he's like an effete upper class person, but there is a gendered connotation to it that we unpacked. And like, at least in this dictionary definition, it's not inherently attached to the definition and when i i looked it up on urban dictionary expecting you know because urban dictionary always gives them more whatever uh i don't know slang uses of something and uh and it's it's totally what you said for miriam webster so it's just kind of interesting that it's more about like unbalanced or you know rebalancing a weapon in a game to make it equitable or something like that or <laughs> less effective but i don't know It just yeah anyway it just I expected the worst and that's sounds. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah it does it sounds it sounds pretty pretty neutral here maybe yeah. more than you would like huh. <laughs> I feel like it was kind of fun as um an insult that's yeah. What I was yeah nerf being an insult right um and I did I did both like that and fear it because I don't want right. to be nerf as we know
0: right yeah you really don't want to be nerf and I really don't want to be nerf <laughs> um, and you're not, I gotta tell you, not nerf, uh, not nerf,
1: hashtag not nerf.
0: Um, I thought you were going to bring up a different piece of news, really? Yeah, because I've got news for you.
1: Ooh.
0: yeah, thank you. Uh, okay, so this is from like September 25th, um, ish, and it was published all around, but I'm looking at Collider's, uh. Version of it, um, but it was everywhere, and it is. The office is reportedly set to be rebooted with original showrunner attached. And it says that uh news of the reboot comes after the resolution of the writer's strike. Original showrunner Greg Daniels is expected to revamp the series. Cast members, including John Krasinski and Mindy Kaling, have expressed interest in revisiting their roles in a potential reboot. Um so thoughts
1: you know this reminds me you had texted me about this a while ago i, and I, think, I, I think i cast it out of my brain
0: i am not yeah.
1: excited about this
0: say more yeah
1: i think it didn't tegan i'm gonna venture into into a sports analogy that i think i probably shouldn't use because it's gonna go wrong but it's what's coming to mind so i think you know how Michael Jordan was like greatest basketball player of all time, oh and sure. retired, and he left for a while, and then he came back, and it wasn't quite as good. I uh, think if uh-huh. I'm having this straight in my head, and I sort of feel like The Office is the Michael Jordan of television, and you just sometimes should walk away when you're on top.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Don't return. Don't make a comeback because it's just not going to be as good as, you know, three Pete for the bulls, Michael Jordan listeners, please, please correct. My misusages here of this comparison, but I think it stands. I'm like, you just hit a magic that you're not going to be able to hit again. And it just always is a little off or a little weird. I think some things we just have to like leave and let them be. And to me, that's the office. I mean, obviously I'll watch it. Yeah. <laughs> But I I do have mixed feelings about it. What's your take on this?
0: Well, first, I thought you were going to say that your analogy was like going to be, you know, uh, potentially uh, problematic or whatever, because I wouldn't understand it. Oh, (laughs) I I followed it. Uh, Well, because it was sports related. And I was like, Uh I get that. I get that. But I was worried for a minute there that I wouldn't uh, follow it. Um, (laughs) I
1: think I think you and I can exchange sports metaphors and really. Be on the same wavelength
0: <laughs> yeah 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 I think so um and uh okay so I feel uh, it's tough I mean I'm gonna sound old and crotchety or whatever and it's like I you I are. don't believe that it's not that I believe that reboots are and remakes and endless sequels are inherently um bad or uh flawed or something like that right like and you know even within the history of like Hollywood cinema like a lot of the stuff that I love, You know, it's like a a remake of a theatrical stage play that then they filmed as a movie or, you know, they made it as a movie in the 20s and then they redid it in the 30s and the 40s. Like, we've been doing this kind of thing for a long time. And more to the point, the office, the American office is a reboot of the British office. So and it's not that the act itself is necessarily like artistically compromised, although it certainly does feel like, you know, and I know many people have mentioned this before, but the only reason they do these things is because of, you know, everybody recognizes the intellectual property so they can sell it and they can, you know, people will, people will go watch something called the office and Mm -hmm. have, you know, a 30 second cameo from Steve Carell or something, but they won't watch, like some brand new show called whatever, you know, the water cooler or whatever. Um,
1: <laughs> with the water, here's a question Would the water cooler be a breakaway show where Kevin is the central character? Yes,
0: and it's all about <laughs> him maintaining. Oh, wait, isn't he the one who sets the air to 69? Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. Yes.
1: <laughs> I, actually, I actually think about him every time if I drive, I try to set it to set the temperature to 69 in honor <laughs> of Kevin think about it a
0: lot. You can set the temperature in your car to a specific.
1: You can, yeah.
0: <laughs> now this shocks me because it's, it's canon that you don't use any heat in your house whatsoever. That's so true. the idea that you would set a temperature in your car is shocking.
1: Yeah. I'm very, I'm uh very freewheeling in the car. Interesting. Okay. I break all the rules. I break <laughs> all the rules. <laughs>
0: anyway so i just like your point that it's like you know it's it's not necessarily the reboot that's the problem and it's like you're trying to recapture a magic that like isn't necessarily going to work and i don't know i feel like some people say that about this show itself some people are like oh they shouldn't have made an american version i love the british version and then other people say i like the first x seasons of the american version and then it jumped the shark or whatever when steve carell leaves Mm -hmm. i don't know but what i feel Mm-hmm. And this is my question to you, and I did find a Washington Post article about this. So, if we need textual evidence, but <laughs> what would an office show be about now, and how could you make it sort of relevant or interesting or interestingly irrelevant in the way that the office is? Um how would you hit the hit that?
1: I don't know. I really don't know because the thing. About the office is good. Is I think the the sort of Seinfeldness of it, and is the places where it is about nothing, where it doesn't depend a lot on plot or on a lot of action, and they're just kind of there together, day to day, and so over time, I mean, things in an office over that many years, the years have, that that have intervened, have changed not to spoil anything, but Michael's, as you've already mentioned, you're aware of this. Like Michael's not the boss anymore. Um, Like people are moving around. People are in different positions. They go through different things. Mm. I don't know. Do you do some kind of catch up thing where now we know who has kids and like who works there and doesn't work there. And I don't want that. I, I just, am not really super interested in any of that. And I think that's some of the things that got difficult and where the show some might say kind of weakened toward the end. And uh, I don't know, like, there's nothing that I, there's nothing that I want out of it. Cause it's kind of like a, you go and you see, where are they now and where are they now was never to me, what it was about. It was just like, what's happening in this particular moment, not what has changed over time, I guess, or I don't know. I can't quite, I can't quite figure out how to, how to put it. Mm
0: this uh washington post article that i found if case anybody wants to read it is called what the office reboot should look like according to office workers and so this was published yesterday evening at 5:45 and so that would have been october 10th if you're searching for it mm-hmm. <clears throat> and basically it's like you know interviewing contemporary uh work talk influencers which apparently is a thing on tiktok is like oh, people at work like in kind of boring office jobs, like making TikToks about their boring office jobs.
1: Um, so Kelly, Kelly will feature strongly in the
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it says here, a 2023-based reboot would not be complete without the much maligned and imitated Gen Z worker about whom a growing portion of work, hashtag work talk is centered. Um, hmm. uh, others suggested a chronically online Gen Z worker running around the company, running the TikTok Running the company TikTok account, dressed in crop tops and cargo pants, ghosting work in the middle of the day, filling the work Slack channels with memes and saying slay and queen. Uh, pass. I think, uh, I think I'm think i going to pass on
1: that. I'm not interested. Yeah, I'm going to pass on that too.
0: Uh, I don't love this idea too that like, I don't know, it would be like a show made by millennials to make fun of Gen Z. I don't know. Uh-huh. It doesn't feel like, like, I don't know, the generational struggle of The Office wasn't a big dynamic.
1: Except with Ryan.
0: <laughs> oh, I guess you're right. Oh, I guess you're right. Um, well, anyway. Um, but that
1: does not, that does not interest me at all.
0: But we will cover it if it happens. Like, we this, Obviously. we will, we will watch. Uh, but yeah, if anybody wants to write in and tell us your thoughts, like, what would you like to see in an Office reboot? We'd like to know, and we don't have to read it on the pod. You can just tell us, you know, and it'll. Yeah. it'll We'd like to
1: hear. We'd like to hear. Um, yeah, and especially I think because we have no good ideas for an office reboot. What's Clearly. your suggest anything? Yeah. Uh, because I'm I'm coming up totally dry, and I want nothing. But maybe yeah. somebody can change my mind.
0: Um, well, that's it for the news beats. and uh, I think do we have anything else to say to do?
1: I think we're I think we're ready to go. It's time. time. All right. Time. I'm thinking about, as you say, the, that's it for the news beats. I'm just remembering one of my favorite office things. And that is when they occasionally show the newsletter. Like, <laughs> you know, where there are those pictures of Michael um, for Halloween. I, th- I think there's a Halloween one. And there's one when he's with Ed Truck in like, is it the 80s? Or yeah, the 90s? yeah,
0: yeah. And he's like shaking his hand.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's the end of the office newsletter.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, this is season three, episode twenty-one. Product recall: a papers. I'm sorry, a paper shipment's lewd watermark. What is wrong with my words today? A paper shipment's lewd watermark throws the branch into crisis mode. Kelly tries to coach Angela on client apologies a strange description because I would think the Kelly Angela thing is really just reduced to like two scenes, but, um, Mm -hmm. it's that watermark that throws the branch, not only into crisis mode, Megan, but into threat level midnight. Threat level
1: midnight mode. That's right.
0: And, uh, in that, you know, situation, it's sometimes best to abbreviate your words. Um, you know, like when you're a cry man, squaw F and C double time, you know?
1: Yep. Yeah, Michael teaches us a lot of good lessons here about efficiency and how to deal with a crisis.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, well, let me just get your overall impression first. Like, where did this one clock in for you in terms of humor and classic office ness?
1: Moderate, and I think I have very little to say about it.
0: Really? Oh, this fascinating. I this surprises me, but I will say I think this is like top tier office. I think this is very, very funny. Um, really. Okay. Funny and
1: um i don't i I don't think it's bad but to me it just isn't uh it isn't a standout for me so how does this help us understand what is classic office
0: well i guess i think i don't know i guess well okay it has an excellent cold open it's got a really nice um primary plot and the subplot like i like how the primary and the subplot or the b plot like um intersect they're not detached from one another. They're basically, you know, I guess there's three plots, but it's really everybody's dealing with this crisis. But Michael is trying to prepare the uh, news conference and then everybody else is trying to deal with customer relations Mm -hmm. or something. And Mm -hmm. so I just like the tagging back and forth. It doesn't feel that any one character is dominating the story. So we get Uh a lot of scenes with a lot of folks and that's always like a treat for me. Yeah. Um, and I would say, I think the plot kind of sucks in so far, like it's a really funny plot, but I don't like most of it gets, does not get resolved in any logical or meaningful way. And I didn't care yeah. because I thought uh-huh. it set up so many funny scenes um uh, along the way. And so I'll just say like highlights for me are the cold open. I think it's fantastic. Uh-huh. I think uh, Andy and Jim with a principal <laughs> out loud funny for me the uh, uh michael doing the you know uh presidential resignation video uh the, <laughs> the big check uh i mean there's just so many. oh angela on the phone um yeah so there's a lot and then of course dwight uh, the reversal of the cold open there, mm-hmm. there were a lot of gags um mm-hmm. that that made me chuckle so
1: well let's start with that opening scene then Okay. Yeah, what do so, you think of this? So this is the one where Jim walks in. He is dressed as Dwight. So he's wearing a light colored shorts, light yellow short sleeve um, button down shirt with, I guess it's kind of like a, a mustard and brown kind of tie. Um, he's got the glasses. He's got the watch. He's got the whole thing. And he he's got the briefcase. So he comes, he sits down at the desk And he says, it's kind of blurry looking at the computer, and he puts on the Dwight glasses, and he asks, question, what kind of bear is best? Dwight, that's a ridiculous question. Jim, false, black bear. Dwight, well, that's debatable. There are basically two schools of thought. Jim, fact, bears eat beets, bears beats Battlestar Galactica, which is kind of a classic office line. Really? I didn't know that. I feel like that's one that you see on T-shirts and stuff. Bears beat Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> that's fascinating. What
0: becomes iconic?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It is. So, let's see. I guess I'm kind of zeroing in on on some of the bear content here. <laughs> Not sure that this is the most important thing, but um, I'm debating. His- <laughs> looking at these notes about bears. I'm like, there's just, I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of interesting directions potentially on bears, but I like this question, what kind of bear is best? And that Dwight at first says it's ridiculous, but then this idea that there are basically two schools of thought. (laughs) I really love the idea of schools of thought about which kinds of bears are best. And I was curious, what do you think should factor into bear evaluations? Like, is it Mm. size is it height or is it weight is it muscularity is it is that a word Muscularity, muscular whatever whatever word would be for in having lots of muscles um is it speed in running is it speed in climbing is it history of killing humans
0: mm.
1: what is it how do you think bears should be evaluated in terms of stacking up which kind is best
0: I didn't know you were going to ask this question, and I also didn't know, as you were asking it, that I would have an obvious answer, and like and that I didn't even need to think about it. And it's cuteness, adorableness. Oh
1: yeah, that is the thing about bears, isn't it? Cuddliness,
0: cuddliness. That, that's the best bear. What's the what bears least? Okay, I have a, I have two things on my graph. I got cuteness. Okay. Murder. So like whatever is most cute and least murdery, that's the best bear.
1: Okay, so yeah, what's your x-axis and what's your y-axis? <laughs> I wonder how that would change the interpretation. You know what I mean? Well, so do we need what's to get gather-
0: yours? Wait, what?
1: Do we need to gather some actual data, though, in terms of murder? And I guess here's here's my question about your sense of cuddliness. Does it matter if they are actually cuddly and would actually be your big spoon or? Is it enough if they just look like they're cuddly, even though they would destroy you?
0: Well, that's a great question. And first, what I really love is that you know I want to be the little spoon. I feel <laughs> I, be, I feel seen and understood. Ever you.
1: ever since Barack Obama ran for president, I knew he wanted to be a little spoon. That's right. I forgot how.
0: Yeah, that He's was a big taller
1: person. Big fantasy of mine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you uh, a great big spoon, it still stands.
0: Yeah. As yet an unfulfilled fantasy, but you know, <laughs> life
1: is long. Yeah. <laughs> life so, is long. There's still time.
0: Mr. President, if you're listening, uh <laughs> you've heard our email address. Reach out. <laughs> anyway. Um, we've had Leonardo DiCaprio write in. Why couldn't Barack Obama?
1: Um Right. And he's so I'll say Leonardo DiCaprio, I think, also has some relevance here. Did you see that movie The Revenant? Yeah. Pursued by a bear. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> so it does always come back to Leonardo.
0: Dang. Uh, okay, hold on. Uh, I don't had know. Some,
1: I guess... Oh yeah, the cuteness. Do you, think, like, do you think it's about their actual behavior or is it just the appearance of cuddliness and is that enough?
0: Well, that's why I needed my X and Y axis, but I will say the, the axis of murder doesn't really matter because I don't want to be in nature where a bear would be. So this okay. is is gonna be my primary category but what about you it sounds like aesthetics may not be key for your bearing. it's all about uh what physical yeah. attributes, skill
1: I think aesthetics are actually key for me too and I think I don't know I might like I might like a bear that is both ferocious but kind of looks like a nerf bear
0: mm. which
1: I think might be the grizzly I mean is that the bear bear that's both? the most ferocious and also very adorable. You know, it's kind of it's kind of like round and fluffy. Yeah. I think I want a nice fluffy bear.
0: Uh I, I'm here for that. I mean, I, I don't constrain myself to realism. And so I would also include here, you know, a Winnie the Pooh bear, for example. I feel like oh, that's
1: okay. that's I an option agree. for me. I don't think White would be open to that. <laughs> the two schools of thought of bears. So I don't think you are even in the conversation with him. But please, yeah. Winnie the Pooh. Because you uh, are.
0: I don't. Wait, what'd you say?
1: <laughs> because you are kind of nerf.
0: Oh. <laughs> I didn't... I thought you were saying I'm kind of like Winnie the Pooh. And I was like, do I like that? I don't know. I mean, he seems. <laughs> He's. So
1: you just picked the most nerf bear of all bears. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> i uh i don't know but i am now gonna think a lot about uh cartoon bears and what options i have here but i uh, this does seem like an appropriate moment for me a last podcast i did have a revision or regret i did mention that my partner jen has a podcast and i'm putting in a plug here but it's relevant so the podcast i got the name wrong i think it's called harry and jen colon, a horror review podcast that's how you can find it on um like uh, iTunes or Spotify or whatever. But the way they've been, uh, the original premise is Harry and Jen ruins someone's night. Uh, So I don't know. You can search for it that way. Anyway, but the second episode is out now and it it stars as a guest, Corey, who's a longtime listener uh, of Office Hours and has appeared uh, in our discussions, reviewing uh, for that episode, Cocaine Bear. And so they talk a lot about a, a grizzly bear that has snorted a bunch of cocaine, and uh anyway so uh if you're interested in <laughs> hearing about that but uh okay so uh i it's it's curious to me is well did you research do bears eat beets i didn't okay
1: well because um i don't think that they do i think dwight makes that clear and i just took his word for it even though he doesn't finish the sentence um jim, when jim says bears eat beets dwight's initial response is bears do not But then it kind of he starts to put it together and he says, what is going on? What are you doing? So he doesn't he doesn't get to finish that. But I'll say this is something that I really would love to hear more about is what are, according to Dwight, the two schools of thought on what kinds of bears are best, what they eat, Mm. and perhaps the trifecta of how it ultimately all ties into Battlestar Galactica.
0: How many bears are there, though? Like, I don't know. How many are we choosing? Oh, there's eight species of bear. Okay. Yeah, there's a lot of bears. All right. You know what? Fuck it. We're, we're drilling down on this. This is, you really didn't have anything to say about this episode and we're owning that.
1: It's on bears.
0: Okay. The, let's see, where are the eight species of bear? Right. Well, here it is. Hold on. Go back, go back. Uh, the eight species of bears are the American black bear. Eight. The,
1: Wait. I thought you said there was 80.
0: I'm sorry. Eight. No, only eight. Here I'm gonna I'm gonna send I'm gonna
1: eight prepare. American bears. There can't okay. be
0: no 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 no. no. Hold eight. on hold on. The first, okay. there are eight species of bear. They okay. the American black bear, the Asian black bear, hmm. the brown bear, the polar bear, mm-hmm. the sun bear, oh the speckled bear, the sloth bear, and. The one that I should have picked from the beginning, giant panda. (laughs) So those are the eight types of bear. And I'm going to put the link in the chat and you're going to tell me which one you want to go on a date with. Which one is cutest? uh, Which one (laughs) do you want to be your little spoon?
1: Okay. (laughs) Well, since you've already seen them, maybe can you give us a little bit of a a reflection on these bears? who, Who stands out to you the most?
0: Well, I gotta say Sunbear is kind of homely, I gotta say. Like not you would think super cute. Speckled bear's got like a raccoon look. Um, but polar bear maybe I gotta say
1: though, speckled bear raccoons are adorable. The speckled bear looks like a mangled raccoon. It's not a it, good look. Yeah. Sloth
0: bear has like a cute little nose. Um, but giant panda for me, it's got the little smile, it's got the little cute little ears that are up. Uh, To me, you know what? There it is. I'm going all in. Best bear, cutest bear is going to have the cutest ears.
1: There are great ears on a panda bear. That's for sure. Okay. So is that your, that's your final, your final Final,
0: answer? What are you thinking? Giant panda. Uh, Yeah. Come on. on.
1: You know, I I think for me, it might actually be the polar bear.
0: Fascinating.
1: I think I, I like the combination of black and white you know the uh, like the black nose eyes and the white fur i just think it really it really pops i think it's a nice look um looks very cuddly very cozy i like it's i don't know survival in extreme climates although i think it is struggling as the ice melts um really like the polar bear a lot i gotta say the american black bear looks pretty good pretty good to me too although not as good as the brown bear i like the proportions there's more roundness it seems to the brown bear than to the black bear at least in this one picture that we've got but here's my question what about the grizzly bear is the grizzly bear just a type of brown bear
0: um checking <laughs> <laughs> uh okay grizzly bear also known as the north american brown bear so what It's a subspecies of the brown bear inhabiting North America.
1: Okay, this is interesting. So it seems like there are lots of subspecies. So there's like the cinnamon bear is a kind of black bear. The kermode bear is a kind Uh, of black bear. So there are different, yeah, we got a lot of of subcategories to these bears. Hmm. Uh, well, somebody should write in a bear expert and tell us,
0: yeah, what the two
1: schools of thought are. Yeah. Yeah, please. I really, really need to hear those two schools of thought and ideally from an expert like Dwight.
0: Now, did you have a theory on how this, um, well, first, did you think that cold open was funny and did you yes. have a theory on how it anticipates the plot?
1: Mm. I could not come up with one and I was waiting for you to, uh, to solve this for me. I started to try to think about it and then it just it just it just did not come to me. Um I do like it. I feel like Jim, I got complicated feelings about Jim in this episode. It is funny at the same time it's really annoying. Like Jim is really annoying right here and then Andy is very annoying. There's lots of annoying people today. Um so I did kind of feel for for Dwight in that, but um also it was funny and enjoyable.
0: Yeah, I thought it was super funny. And um, it's just a, you know, it's a basic joke. It's a simple joke, but it did bring up for me. Um, well, I had two thoughts. Number one, uh, I, just a, a kind of philosophical question, <laughs> which is to say, um, is, you know, is a, per- what makes a person um, or an individual? And, and how do you know someone else? And mm-hmm. is it like, through their um, memories, their beliefs, their opinions, whatever, or is it completely exterior? Like, do we only know other people through their, uh, you know, um, physical appearance and their external actions? And, um, you know, but we could also take it out of the realm of like the philosophical and just put it in the realm of the literary, like what composes a character in a story Hmm. since Mm these characters don't have, reality <clears throat> they we characters like um uh, have the illusion of reality and they use details to project that illusion and so i kind of enjoyed this imitation of dwight because it reduces dwight to hmm. a few things but those things like it, it's striking to me that bears beats battle galactica would be iconic of the show because in some sense what Jim is doing is trying to get at the most iconic details or or, yeah. or um things about Dwight. And so the glasses, the tie, the shirt, the hair, uh, a certain mode of speaking and interrupting
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, a certain know-it-allism. Uh, anyway. so I, I just really enjoyed that, like kind of question that it provoked. And then yeah. the thought I had was that, And this could be a stretch. But so Dwight says imitation is the most sincere form of flattery. So I thank you. And then he gets upset and says identity theft is not a joke, Jim. And that made me think about how the rest of the plot is to some extent about um, identity theft and imitation. And so we see this, for example, where Kelly's job is to essentially get the three accountants to impersonate or imitate a different. Mm -hmm um manner of being and speaking and like Angela doesn't want to uh whereas like Kevin is ready to become what like Crocodile Dundee or something like that right yeah yeah um, meanwhile you know when Dwight says identity theft is not a joke like to some degree that one could argue that is what Creed does like not so much that he well he does steal her identity he steals what's her name um
1: Debbie Brown
0: Deborah Debbie uh steals her money You know, uh, but also Hmm. gets her fired by pretending, you know, a a, a series of, you know, um, false kind of statements and stuff to construct reality. And then, and then, of course, Michael is imitating and cosplaying like a couple of different things, but a kind of like, you know, police or CIA, you know, emergency war room white house kind of you know whatever thing and then uh uh, and then by the end he's become sort of a strange uh presidential versus almost like a terrorist (laughs) video thing and so uh oh and then andy is has been hanging out with a, a a girl who was she pretending to be older than she is like and imitating an older age, I don't know. So I just kept thinking identity is, yeah, something important to this episode. Oh, oh, and then she wants uh, uh, Michael to get fired and take responsibility, like as an individual. And he's like, no, 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 no. like I'm. J- anyway, I don't know. What do you think? Too too much of a stretch?
1: No, it's not. I, the thing that I keep thinking about is the way that you described character and the question of what like what is it that makes a person and what is it that kind of coheres into a character and particularly that set of words bears beats Battlestar Galactica. It's making me almost want to do that for other characters and for myself and for people I know. Like if you sort of think, okay, if bears beats Battlestar Galactica are Dwight's three things, what would be another character's three words that really capture something about what they care about and about their way of being in the world, Bears Beats Battlestar Galactica are pretty good. Well,
0: what is it that Dwight's is for Jim? It's basically girlfriend, uh, slouchy hair, slouchy and hair. a kind of uh, the smirk, right? Like,
1: yeah, very, very smirky.
0: So smirky, slovenly, and I mean, like, Jim is arguably as a character is primarily defined by his romantic attachments. Like, mm-hmm. so I did think that was interesting that that Dwight's like <laughs> proposing to have sex with Karen or whatever, like, so the, as if we can't understand Jim's character without a relationship to another character.
1: Yeah, yeah, Hmm. Huh. I love the response when uh, when Dwight walks in, so this is at the very end, and when he walks in dressed as Jim, I, Love it how um Pam just immediately (laughs) catches on to this and says, Hey Dwight, you look really nice today. (laughs) 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 Hmm. Well, I like this. Let's see, let's see where it where it ends up. You raised a lot of things too, like about Michael's videos, his war room, his presidential versus ransom video. Um a lot of stuff for us to get to. But I guess should we begin from his his president his uh presidential war room when he's in a crisis
0: yeah uh so he says everybody in here stat no time to lose cry squad f and c double time cry squad crisis management squad f and c double time front and center twice as fast as you would normally go any other questions one more why are you talking like that to save time jim actually i think you can make the argument that it wastes time <laughs> and so forth. I just, oh man, I love that.
1: My, uh, my favorite point at one point in this time. So he's, he's called the conference room there. He's explained that there's a crisis. He says that apparently this was before, right before the conference room and an interview, apparently a disgruntled employee at the paper mill decided it would be funny to put an obscene watermark on our 24 pound cream butter stock. Is that a mista? Is it cream paper stock?
0: I thought or did they
1: call it okay yeah I don't know why the, the uh script Could I have be script. I'm like it's gotta I be whatever it is um 500 boxes has gone out with the image of a beloved cartoon duck performing unspeakable acts upon a certain cartoon mouse that a lot of people like I've never been a fan <laughs> so this is his crisis
0: now I put pasted the image in the chat if you want to review it again um but my first question for you is okay so the mouse is supposed to be mickey mouse right but they can't say that or represent it but it also doesn't look like mickey mouse at all well it doesn't but it can't but it does have the little gloves that mickey mouse has and it does have (laughs) the ears that suggest mickey mouse um
1: those ears are too low for mickey mouse
0: but they are circular they are very
1: circular They're very circular. That's
0: true. But if it's too, like, the the house of the mouse is very litigious, and so...
1: House of the mouse is litigious.
0: uh, But what I was confused about was, like, if the mouse is supposed to in any way... Like, what other famous mouse is there, like... uh, Jerry?
1: Is Tom the mouse or is Jerry the mouse in Tom and Jerry? Oh, I never remember. One
0: Uh, of them. Tom or Jerry. But what's the duck supposed to be? Because the duck doesn't look like... And I was like, what beloved ducks are there? There's Scrooge McDuck, Donald Duck, Daffy Duck, uh, the Aflack Duck.
1: <laughs> so I guess the question is, is this just, are they invented cartoon characters that they pretend are beloved right. or are they like the candy bars in the right. vending machine where we all know that it's, for example, a pack of. That's not a candy bar, but a pack of Chips Ahoy cookies. But they put a sticker over one of the letters. So it's not explicitly Chips Ahoy. But in all those cases, with the vending machine stuff, it still looks exactly like the actual brand name. And in this case, it it doesn't have that same look exactly, almost, but like minus one key detail. Right.
0: Which I don't know, you know, but either way, I mean, it does kind of, bring us back to the imitation as a form of flattery versus parody uh-huh. because this person has taken a beloved cartoon and put it in a sexual position
1: uh-huh.
0: uh Dwight later says it looks consensual which I thought a was like I like that Dwight is uh caring about consent and then b so damn funny just as a line like to be like well oh, it's not that obscene because it's consensual <laughs> yes definitely And I had questions about it. Is it supposed to be anal sex or is it sort of doggy style? Um, And I didn't look up like duck penises. uh, So I don't know how this would work, but I did appreciate. um, Oh, I've just Googled duck penis and I, and I, that's interesting. Huh? Anyway. um, But I love that. Doesn't Dwight have a whole thing about it being accurate because he's seen all kinds of animal sex.
1: Yes, yeah he's seen do you have that line where he's seen all of the different combinations yeah. and what he lists it's it's consistently interspecies i think right like it's not it's not duck duck mouse mouse
0: uh let's see i don't know if i have that line written down is it in this script that we
1: have it's definitely in the show yeah know. it
0: was in there because i wrote it i wrote notes about it but i just that made me laugh so hard i'll see
1: uh i'll see if i can if i can find it and i'll and we'll, we'll come back to it if i happen to land on it but um do you have a theory
0: about this disgruntled employee putting this watermark on 24 pound cream stock
1: well that's so funny i i didn't even think about the theory of the disgruntled employee and why they did it it was creative
0: do you think it was creed
1: Oh my god, no, I don't think so. I think Krieg was taken aback by this. <laughs> but wait, I do have that line. Dwight, he says, I grew up on the farm in on a farm. Sorry, I can't talk. I grew up on a farm. I have seen animals having sex in every position imaginable. <laughs> imaginable. Goat on chicken, chicken on goat, couple of chickens doing a goat, couple of pigs watching. Whoever drew this got it exactly right. <laughs>
0: Oh, my God. Um, you know
1: what? Um, if I knew how to make watermarks, I think it would be fun to make a set of office stationery that had all those different combinations. Like, goat on chicken? I'm sorry, goat on chicken.
0: <laughs> you should print your, like, student assignments on that stock. <laughs> um, one of my favorite lines in the whole episode is Creed. I, I, I know you do not like Creed, but I think Creed is... <laughs> fucking hilarious in this episode and i love the line every week i'm supposed to take four hours and do a quality spot check at the paper mill and of course the one year i blow it off this happens i
1: I like that line the one year i blow it off (laughs) i
0: love jokes like that where it's like you have to really notice that one word has been changed or something you know and the significance is different um
1: yeah yeah
0: totally Okay, so then Michael decides to that it's necessary to call a press conference. Um, and yeah, I would just love to talk about this like as a trope, not only of um, like, I don't know, a particular kind of show, but also the very idea of what press conferences are or are supposed to be or do. Um, I'm thinking of the the one where like Rudy Giuliani's do you remember this like the one in philadelphia uh that was supposed to be in front of some hotel and then they it was like anyway you know i'm just thinking of like iconic press conferences um and what their purpose is supposed to serve anyway but so michael says here's the thing when a company screws up best thing to do is call a press conference alert the media and then you control the story wait for them to be- wait for them to find out and the story controls you that's what happened to o j um Hilarious. But also, I thought at, since, you know, we're literature professors, we're interested in story, I, I'm always kind of fascinated by the ways in which our culture uses the language of narrative and story to talk about the news and mm-hmm. crisis. Um, yeah. This is a developing story. You know, How how will the White House respond to this narrative? You know, what's mm-hmm. the narrative of the election? Who's up and who's down? You know, and on the one hand, these things are constructs. On the other hand, they have very real effects. One might say the narrative of the economy, for example, has like a lot of effects on the economy. But this idea of controlling the story or being controlled by it—I thought I don't know—it just made me wonder what you think of that. Mm-hmm. And Michael's attempts to control,
1: yeah, Michael. So I guess, and he he's like preemptively. It's so funny. Does doesn't Pam? What is it that Pam says? Um.
0: He says the press wants a story. I'll give them a story. Oh, no. Uh, is that one? No, not that one. She says,
1: you know I, mean? I think that then doesn't she say, did the press ask for a story?
0: Jim says that. Yeah. Did the press ask for yeah. a story? But before okay. that, he said, she said, he, she says, Or we're having a press conference. And he says, no, Pam, the press is just going to find out by themselves.
1: Yes. Yes. That <laughs> The press is just going to find out by themselves. So he, this reminds me of, um, ideas that you've had before about the way that Michael is influenced by the cultural images of something like college. Mm. Um, And so the extent to which that, that shapes his expectations when he goes to Ryan's college campus to give a speech. And similarly here, I think he has such a, a TV sensibility about how you handle a crisis and that calling of a press conference so that he he preemptively gives the story before there even is a story and he does have this idea about controlling it that seems valid and yet at the same time it's just so excessive to reach out it like uh it seems like he kind of works it in the wrong direction because who would care about this like nobody right. would e- care about this until he actually gets the press guy in there and then he calls the woman who he's apologizing to a member of the ungrateful biatch club or something like that and so what it does is actually open open him up to lose control by telling the story it opens him up to lose control of the story even though like on, on some level that idea of controlling the narrative makes sense but it's interesting what happens when he tries to do that and i guess it's difficult to actually control it
0: Mm. in some way (laughs) i feel like you know maybe that's one of the if i was going to criticize the plot of this episode i'd be like you know it's there's a missed opportunity here to go further with that idea to sort of show the story spinning out of control i mean the show's too short or the episode is too short to like do that unless it starts there and there's a lot of fun with getting to that moment but yeah we i could imagine like jan being brought in or um like a news newspaper article is printed and then you know shit gets worse or something and it doesn't really explore any of it getting too chaotic uh which maybe is a surprise but maybe that just reinforces your point that's like nobody would really care about this anyway even even if he screws it up
1: uh-huh. There is, I think we might anticipate the story coming out from the newspaper reporter Chad Light, who writes The Lighter Side of Life or something like that, um, because right after Michael sort of spins out of control in this apology, and this is when the client doesn't accept it, I guess the other thing about trying to control a story and a narrative is it's not like he's sitting in his office writing it by himself, but he's trying to write this story in interaction with other people, and you can't control the way they're going to react to it. So he thinks that if he does the apology,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: it'll work out like the plot will sort of unfold the way that he expects it to and the way that he projects, but it doesn't turn out to be the case. And so that's where it sort of starts to spin out when he says that he's calling the ungrateful biatch hotline. And then one of my favorite things is when he turns to the one reporter who's in the room and says, did you get all that? <laughs> and then the guy says everything. <laughs> so also, there is like he doesn't try. He doesn't try then to cover it up or reel it back or anything. He just he kind of understands what he has done. Uh, but he he really has has put it out there for for Chad Light and the lighter side of life.
0: It's funny to me that he says alert the media you control the story wait for them to find out the story controls you that's what happened to OJ like what happened to OJ like if you were to say that it would be like okay well what OJ should have done then is confess and then and then he controls the story right but like <laughs> the story is not the significant thing the 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 significant thing is getting away with it right without consequence or whatever. Right. So like, it's just interesting to me that Michael never considers, how can we cover this up, which is what like yeah. arguably he yeah. should do, or just like, how can we smooth this over and just make it go away? Yeah. Um, And yeah. maybe that's because he wants to be the center of attention. He wants to, he wants that headline uh, that he narrates for us.
1: Yeah, he kind of takes it as an opportunity to be a really upstanding yeah. business. Leader. Um, yeah, let's read. What is that? The he- very long headline that he-, he lays out. He says, here is your headline. And he kind of, you know, moves his hand along as if it's like the bold headline print in a really delightful misunderstanding of the length of headlines. Scranton area paper company, Dunder Mifflin, apologizes to valued client. Some companies still know how business is done.
0: Yeah, so he thinks he's going to spin it into a success for him.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Or the company, I should say. Yeah,
1: yeah. He thinks he'll spin it into a success. And that just, like, if you... He's just, he's not savvy enough <laughs> for for this kind of... uh media attention because he he feels like he can deliver the headline and uh it it's just he's he's not gonna get this headline that he's looking for
0: i just think it's so interesting like i don't know the role of the press in this country is supposed to be to like keep uh people in power accountable right and like but it often functions as uh the opposite of that like a, a naturalizing or uh, of you know structures of authority and makes us less informed <laughs> and and more passive and something like, like to the extent that journalism becomes pr um and he wants that like he's basically like i'm going to make the press be pr mm-hmm. um and uh anyway so it, I, there's some there's some fun satirical stuff there that I I really enjoyed.
1: Yeah, you know what though, as much so he wants to be able to control the narrative and he wants to be able to give the headline, but he does not end up taking the sort of dictatorial route once he actually has the guy in there. Like he actually seems to respect the freedom of the press. That's true. Asks, Did you get all that? And he's like, oh god, okay. That's so true. he knows, like, he's got it, and there's nothing he can do about it, and. We will learn at some point that Michael is willing to basically take a hostage in <laughs> their situation, but he does not he does not do that here. So I I think I applaud Michael for respecting the freedom of the press.
0: I think there's something funny to me too about. Okay, so he says uh this is his speech, and so with the eyes of the nation upon us, <laughs> I'd like to say that Thunder Mifflin truly regrets this unfortunate incident. Um
1: <laughs> the eyes and- of the
0: Upon us. <laughs> yeah. but what I feel like is kind of strange now watching this in our contemporary moment in 2023 is like it's not crazy for me to imagine like scrolling through the news or social media and like if something like this had happened in a small town where a small number of people are affected by this like small obscenity that it suddenly could become a national news story for 24 hours because it seems that what we do now is like explode meaningless shit and like pay a ton of attention to it. Like, and that social media kind of hyper um, intensifies that because you have all these people who, you know, need to have an opinion and would be like, that is, oh, it's so obscene. Think of the children, like, oh my God, like, oh my, and then other people being like, that no, it's funny and ha 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 ha, they should make paper. They should make that their permanent watermark. And like, it. I could admit, ima- it's just funny because the joke here is like, it's so tiny. Why would anybody give a shit about this? And I feel like now in 2023, actually I can imagine that people would give a shit about it and that Dunder Mifflin
1: would have to respond. <laughs> I feel like Michael needs to uh, bring it all down to the bailer. <laughs> yeah, go to make these things disappear. Well, so people are
0: calling, they're complaining. The school official says it's very serious. Mm-hmm. Why
1: are they upset? What do you think? I guess just because their paper ends up reflecting on them. Like nobody thinks about it because nobody thinks about their paper coming from a company and coming from somewhere else, but it's the reflection on them. So I think when Barbara says that she could have lost business because if something, you know, if one of her, whatever it is that she prints whether it's kind of a product or it's her flyers or whatever it goes back to her like it ends up affecting her image for the school I think they said that they sent their prom invitations out on it right so it's like it's an embarrassment for the school or it's an embarrassment then for whoever else it comes from Mm. so I think that the it's like the, obs- the responsibility transfers onto the person who then circulated it.
0: Oh, I love that point. I think and so then
1: they try to transfer it back. Like Barbara tries to transfer it back to Michael and Michael's like, no, it isn't actually me. It goes further back.
0: Hmm. Which I do wonder, I mean, like, it is interesting. Okay. So they have a quality assurance person for the paper mill, but like, doesn't the paper mill have somebody that would be responsible for this also, um, but I was wondering what you thought of Barbara's like, you should, okay, I do love the line. She says, it makes it your responsibility. And he says, no, I'm a regional manager, <laughs> um, which is like just amusing because normally he and Dwight are like kind of inflating their importance. And now it's like, oh, ah, mm-hmm. it. anyway, and she says, yeah, and so yeah. you should lose your job. Um, what do you think of people when they, compl- have you ever had a customer service job like this where people are like, you should get fired or they, or you have an angry customer who's like, I want somebody to get fired for this. Like. I'm just curious what your thoughts are on the demand for people getting fired for watermark boners. (laughs) That's what Uh, Michael calls it. Just to be clear. Don't care. I
1: know. I know. I was laughing because I was wondering about that description of it. Um, I like, I think this is one of those unfortunate things, but to me, I, I don't think it makes, it makes sense. Exactly. Like one person has to fall for this. Because it's clearly not, um, clearly Michael didn't do it. And I guess her sort of theory of it is he's the head of the company. And so he has to take responsibility for the things that have happened under his watch or on his watch, basically, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like you have to take responsibility for the things that are going wrong. But I, I don't know, I don't think that I agree with this idea that responsibility means resigning. hmm I think there are other ways to take responsibility, and I think, yes, that if you are in the position of leadership, then the problems that come out, you do have to deal with, and you do have responsibility for, but not, in the sense that it means. I, I don't think that. I don't think that having to quit or being kind of forced out is a really logical response or way of thinking about responsibility.
0: Yeah, I think about this sometimes. Just in like, on the one hand, it's very because we live in a capitalist society where and like corporations and companies and businesses have so much power they depend you know so much on consumerism like it is an effective political strategy to pressure them in a variety of ways um to correct either moral or political wrongs or something but um often it feels like when it's a call to fire someone Um, yeah, maybe, maybe the problem for me is like, it's kind of often solving a structural problem with an individual solution, you know? So it's in this case, right? Yeah. Somebody put this in and, uh, and it had minimal impact, but let's imagine that like, it turns out that the paper Dunder Mifflin's paper gives people cancer and like, you know, the company knew that. Right. And it's like, oh, we fired the CEO or something. Like, I guess in those situations, I feel often like highly unsatisfied by that and, (laughs) but also too, like, I don't know the, yeah, when we call for people to be fired, I mean, I don't know, there's a part of me that's like very supportive of that idea. And then at the same time, I'm also kind of like, because we don't live in a socialist society where everybody's like has an income and, you know, economic stability regardless, I get nervous about that being the like immediate go-to like we understand accountability as losing your job. And so, yeah. and therefore losing your means of self-sustenance. I don't know. It's just something I think about sometimes Or it's like, it's, it's just interesting that the most moral thing we can think of is like firing somebody. I don't know. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It is. And there are different. So obviously, I mean, the stakes in this situation are incredibly low. In <laughs> this. So there are different, different contexts for it. But I think that part of what happens in a situation like this is that it feels the idea of firing someone, it makes it feel cathartic or something. Yes. It, yes, it looks like we're doing something big, yeah. but really it's doing nothing. And I, I wonder if part of it has to do with a kind of, even emotional creating a kind of emotional resolution to some way to something where damage is done and it cannot be resolved anyway. Like there isn't really, you know, you can, they can replace the paper, they can do all of those things, but if they've already sent their prom invitations out, like that's not going to change. And so what would it even do for Michael actually to be fired? And is Michael maybe right when he says, um, let me uh, just give a little explanation. This comes from his apology video that we can get into because it kind of maybe devolves out of apology at this point. But he says there is no way I will resign. I wouldn't be fair, not to the workers I work with, not to my clients, and especially not to me. Let's not forget who this whole resigning business is about anyway. If I could leave you with one thought, remember it wasn't me. They're trying to make me an scapegoat. I oh, knew you,
0: you would love that line.
1: Oh, I love it. Scapegoat um but it does feel like the scapegoat is this sort of release or an escape of the energy and of the feeling about it and i don't think he's wrong i do not think he's wrong also though i love how he turns at this point (laughs) to threatening and he says if i am fired i swear to god that every single piece of copy or paper in this town is going to have the f word on it (laughs) you have one day (laughs)
0: i did um want to get your thoughts on the uh cards the the cue cards and so um uh if i may i'll read them into the record or i'll just read the parts that he doesn't read out loud so card two says i have literally apologized an infinite number of times over this and still (laughs) there are calls for me to resign calls from an annoying woman and possibly even the media alike Well, let me tell you something, something from the heart. I will not resign. I am not leaving this office. Um, And then uh, card four (laughs) says, I need this job. My mortgage is hundreds of dollars a month. With this job, I can barely cover that. I have a company car, but I still have to pay for gas. Gas prices are high and I have no savings whatsoever. (laughs) And it wasn't even me. So it's not fair that they want me to resign
1: those cards were great to look at because he kind of weaves in and out of the parts that he actually reads and says and then the parts like this that he just completely skips over
0: (laughs) Um, (laughs) yeah why do you think he didn't read those or did they have him read them and they cut that out what do
1: you think oh that's a good question i don't know I, i i feel like you skipped over it it uh hmm i guess so after that one where when the card says this might take more research that we would have to like stop and do, but um, where is it? Do you remember where it is that he goes when Dwight's card says, I need this job. My mortgage is hundreds of dollars a month. What does Michael actually start saying at that point? Because it seems like he does. He kind of veer off script. I mean, so on the one hand this, the script that he already has is pretty wild when he is, you know, not even a SWAT team could take me out of here. I think that was on the card. But it seems like some of it is going, like, he's he's getting out of hand. Yeah. And it yeah. seems like at this point, maybe he's veering off script and getting, you said it looks both like a presidential apology speech with the American flag behind him, but also like a, a terrorist ransom a hostage. Like a
0: hostage video.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it does seem like he's wavering between those things, between being like the, I want to be very official and I want to address the nation and take responsibility for this thing, but I am going to threaten you all with this very serious threat of putting the F word. Yes. The F word on the future watermarks and giving that ultimatum, you have one day. Um, So we close between, and maybe, maybe this is the big tension that they're always is in this kind of situation of being like called to account and wanting to take responsibility and resolve it well and then wanting to lash out and like give a counter threat
0: yeah oh that's so fascinating i want to ask you more about that um but i don't know how to get at it so i'll just ask i'll ask it in two different ways number one Pam says this was your best apology video ever, so do you imagine this, like Michael's pattern of kind of the (laughs) desire to apologize and then also the resentment or uh, about being called to account? Like, is this a pattern for him? Do we have any evidence of what those other apology videos are about? But then Mm -hmm. also my second version of this uh, is also, do you have a theory of apologies? Like, Mm. do you want them? Do you expect them? Do you accept them? do you, yeah, what's your oh apology theory
1: I, uh, I I'm gonna have to ask for yours. I don't know that I really have much of an apology theory. Um, yes, definitely accept them. And I feel like maybe the only aspect of not that this would really be a full theory of it, but is the one that I think is kind of standard and everybody has, but the um kind of hating the apology that's like, oh, I'm sorry you felt that way
0: oh. <laughs> You,
1: know? <laughs> <the worst. laughs> um, you think
0: it's true that men like stereotypically are unwilling or incapable of apologizing, or is that sort of a false stereotype?
1: I don't know. I don't know that it would be any more true than it is for women. Interesting. Well, I feel like there's a thing about women
0: pre-apologizing. Like,
1: pre-apologizing, but I don't know that that's... Um... Genuine, exactly. Or I mean, to me, I think that's different. I think that's sort of automatic. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, I think that's different than an apology that's really for a wrong done, like a really having to own something. Apology.
0: I see. So it's like mm-hmm. purely performative phrasing or something, or
1: not, and not in a way where it's like being strategically false or manipulative or, or anything. I don't mean a, a kind of negative version of it like that, but just that right. it's, it's different than the kind of apology where you have to really claim responsibility for something that you have either done or that has kind of happened within your organization or under your leadership mm. that is wrong.
0: Mm. Mm.
1: So I kind of think about the, of those as different categories. Um, yeah. What is your theory?
0: Yeah, I don't know. I got to think more about this, like whether I have a theory of the apology. I definitely think that I've been predisposed to apologizing a lot, you know, especially like, you know, there were, uh, I don't know. I kind of took on the role of like the peacemaker to a degree in my family, my kind of dysfunctional, violent family. And so I sort of saw apologies as ways to assuage keep the peace and like you know but that also made me kind of a people pleaser to a degree um Mm -hmm. that maybe wasn't always good and also makes apologies like more default or even strategic in a way that's not you know the kind of authentic apology which is not to say that they were inauthentic but you know like a kind of conditional or coerced apology is is not Hmm ideal um and when people apologize to me like for minuscule things like i don't know students will apologize like uh i'm so sorry this is late or i'm so sorry i showed up to class late or i'm so sorry i uh don't have my book or something it always makes me uncomfortable because i'm like i not but i think it's because i equate what they're saying like i had a student literally say to me something like i don't know if you'll be mad at me but i did x you know and i was like whoa like that's not what this is about that's not the nature you know but it's also like i don't want to be my father i don't want to be my like angry daddy or whatever so it's like definitely like i think that that's what it triggers for me so mm-hmm. when they're apologizing i i must you know have this transference with them or something. anyway but i don't like it i'm like you don't need to apologize like whatever mm-hmm. this you know um but like you're saying that's all kind of separate from like that's all like the rhetorical function of apologies and not so much like the actual like when something when you've done something actually wrong or somebody is actually wronged you and in those yeah. cases like I do really feel like I don't know I really value apologies and you know I've heard people sort of say that like oh actions speak louder and I'm like nah words mean a lot to me like an yeah. apology goes a long way yeah I think it's like it's not so much about like checking the box or being like oh, okay you are now forgiven but the act of apologizing and kind of uh, talking in that way allows for like a repair and a restoring to some status quo mm-hmm. um, and I fuck up all the time and so I feel like it's not a big deal for me to apologize
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, anyway I don't know I, I gotta think more about this but I'm really curious about what Michael's like the fact that he has a genre of apology video so interesting I wonder if he was is he a he's a narcissist in some ways but like I don't know narcissists don't usually want to apologize and I guess he's using the apology to get attention but is that also a strategy he used as a child like with his mom um I don't know
1: that you mentioned the genre of the apology video, because there's also interpersonal apology, and then there's public apology.
0: Right.
1: So maybe our Michael's apology video is sort of right forerunner of what is considered the like the public. Don't they call it like a notes apology? The notes app. Yes. They write somebody like some celebrity has done something wrong and embarrassing or whatever, and so they type out this big apology on their notes app on their phone, and then they put it on Instagram yep. or something. So there is now with social media more this category of the visual public apology. Michael was really mastering this a lot earlier, but it might be if you really wanted to get into all of the dynamics of apology, it might be interesting to break down and more closely study the different apologies that we get within the show. So like the way the different characters apologize or fail to apologize on the phone and how they kind of interact when it's the one-on-one conversation and how that also compares to michael whether it's the public performance of the apology to the one person when it's him and barbara but it's there presented with the giant not a check but like the giant coupon um to make it right in front of the reporter or when he does his video before we get beyond his video though what do you think about his american flag behind him
0: <laughs> just love it and it really i kept thinking like okay what what is this a reference to like is there a reference here to I don't know Richard Nixon or I was trying to think like what would be the political because it really felt like a president or a a political figure apologizing or something I was like I don't think Bush who was president at the time right it was George W Bush I don't think anyway I don't know but it just—it just made me laugh that he's elevating himself too. Yes, elevating—that's
1: totally right. Yes, he's making himself this national figure, but with a flag that's printed across four different pieces of paper and then taped together, kind of oddly right. on the window behind him. And he already also has a flag that's there with like an American eagle that's in front of it. Um, so just some of the American iconography there is very funny. You know what we haven't talked about at all jim and andy and their venture out to the high school
0: yeah let's talk about that let me just round out one thing here and i'll just say that the um creed element i think part of what you know i, I find it really funny um this idea that creed is kind of a con artist and uh that he's on the one hand seems like completely out of it and then on the other hand is savvy and savvier than everybody else it's just a funny joke to me but i do think it's kind of an interesting character contrast between michael and creed that like michael is tr- overly taking responsibility one might say or is appropriately taking responsibility in either case creed is shirking it in every possible innovating it you know and like not only that not only is he just sort of hoping he can skate by and not get noticed but he's like actively controlling the story like he yeah. is getting ahead of the story and manipulating it and sweeping it under the rug and in and um getting somebody fired so like everything that could happen to michael or that michael could do creed Mm -hmm. does without any moral concern and i'm always just fascinated because i'm always so worried about morality it's always really interesting to me and maybe Mm -hmm. even thrilling sometimes to watch a character who has no morality yeah act in their own complete self-interest and not in the way that michael does for attention but anyway i just that i think is the function that was what i got out of creed Hmm. but off to high school what are your thoughts andy and jim besties
1: andy and jim well so it starts out michael (laughs) michael assigns them to that they're gonna go over together to high school because um Jim says that about the high school that he's got a call out on that. And Michael says that isn't enough. This is a Keystone account. I want you in the school in person and that he wants him to bring a partner. And Ryan says, I'll go. Michael tells Ryan, no sweet cheeks. We need someone who's actually made a sale. Andy, you go. And then Andy says in an English accent, William Doolittle at your service, AKA will do. Andy's already here being very annoying. Um, But they get in the car and so they're driving together and let's see i feel like i gotta get this this script up for what's happening so (laughs) they're in the car andy says beer me jim what's that hand me that water i always say beer me gets a laugh like a quarter of the time so how's what's her name you know her name who karen yeah she's only one of my oldest friends Mm. how's the apartment hanging it's fine Nice. Check out the sunshine, man. Global warming, right? Today was supposed to be really cold, I bet. What about music? Do you have any music? Um, Yeah, should have said so. And then Andy starts going, give me the B-boys, and he sings. Um, so, on the one hand, in some ways, Andy is being very annoying here. I also think, at some points, he's kind of being sweet, and Jim is being really kind of a jerk because he's not taking any of andy's invitations to talk so um a few things first of all bear me well i love when when andy says that it gets a laugh a quarter of the time what do you think is a good ratio on something that's worth always trying if it gets a laugh like x percent of the time what kind of numbers do you want to be working with
0: i i'm i'm not a gambler. So I want to say like 75%, you know, like yeah, yeah. maybe two thirds of the time, but <laughs> yeah, a quarter of the time, those are low odds, you know, a odds. different joke.
1: Yeah. Do do? I, I like Andy's, I do like his risk taking there. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think the, the place when he says, check out the sunshine, man, global warming, right. I know that to Jim it's very grating and it's very annoying and I guess I've got mixed feelings about Andy, but at that point I really kind of felt for him because I don't know, Jim just won't throw in anything. And, um, Jim is one where over the course we can talk about where they arrive on their return trip at the end. Um, because I had a very, a big range of feelings I would say about Jim in this episode too. But, um, You know, we're getting some interesting Andy here and some cold Jim reactions. But my favorite part actually is when Jim says, though, let's see, when they get there, they get out of the car and Jim says, Lord, bear me strength.
0: (laughs) That's pretty funny.
1: (laughs) That's good. Um, What did you think about the whole interaction between Andy and Jim, whether it's in the car and then going and actually getting to the high school? I don't know what
0: it is about Andy, but like I have this, I don't know if you watch television in this way sometimes but like i you know there are characters that make me cringe and then i'm like oh my god i'm so nervous that i'm like them and andy is one of those people where i'm like holy fuck, am i annoying in the way that andy is annoying (laughs) um so he just triggers that anxiety for me and there's nothing in particular that makes me say "Uh uh-oh but i'm just so every he makes me nervous that i'm like like that or something and I think it's, he's so fucking cringy. It's like, he is bringing back the parts of the show that when we started in season one, I was like, I don't know if I can make it. <laughs> yeah. And like, if Andy was the main thing in this show, I would be like, fuck me. It is, he is brutal. Um, but he's cringy in the, in, in the best way, right? Where he is, I don't know. Like he's seemingly, I don't know. <laughs> is he? <laughs> doing the best he can or is he just (laughs) relentlessly obnoxious i don't know but um but what's so funny is his his comeuppance here for me you know and i don't know if it should be funny but it is that his girlfriend is a part-time frozen yogurt (laughs) chef a green hoodie and um and uh yeah it turns
1: out as it turns out
0: but I was so confused about this seemed to come out of nowhere in two senses. Number one, I was like, doesn't this seem sort of out of character for Andy? And then, and, except in the sense that, I, like, he's kind of an idiot, but like, is he so stupid that he wouldn't realize that they're high school students? It felt a little, I had a hard time there. And then, um, I don't know, just like, is he what is the context in which he met and is hanging out with these people? Did I miss that?
1: (laughs) I mean, it did feel to me like he was kind of genuinely duped. I mean, this didn't (laughs) exactly feel like he was predatory and like he was intentionally trying to be with a high school student. I mean, one could say that maybe he should have read some signs, like when they wanted to go and like bat down mailboxes. but uh, I don't think he knew. I don't think he knew. But what are the kids? Why are they
0: hanging out with him? Like, and she totally is know. like not interested. I was like, did he buy them beer? Um, I just couldn't put my finger on it. But yeah, I, no. The, he's definitely not being predatory, which I feel like is the joke. But the fact that you're saying he was duped by them is intriguing to me. Um <laughs> that you're you're not taking the side of the innocent minors um
1: (laughs) and i don't know i don't know that it was like even a deliberate duping but maybe a um a withholding of information yeah (laughs) yeah, 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 i'm a high school student (laughs) yeah But, you know, when Andy concludes, (laughs) I don't know if I should be siding with him on this, because (laughs) the school official or the principal says, um, we teach our students character counts. And Andy goes, you don't teach it well enough. One of your students is a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) So I think Andy does, Andy does feel duped by this part time frozen yogurt chef. For sure. Uh... I mean, I think. I think sometimes it's hard to tell how old people actually are. He meets her out of context at her frozen yogurt employment. And um, I think Andy wants, like he wants connection and he wants to have friends. And we kind of hear that even with the, the stuff with Jim, you know, cause he's like kind of trying to be cool and fun, like, Oh, beer me that water bottle and it's not working. He's not being cool or fun. And so I think, you know, he's he's looking for looking for some connection and, and he misfires.
0: I did read uh, in the trivia, I came across this just when I was trying to find out, the, oh, I was trying to find the cue cards and the text of them. So I don't know if this is uh, uh, acceptable or not, but is um, that uh, uh, Shira Scott Astroff, who's the actress that plays the... Um, high school student Mm -hmm. was 27 years old at the time of filling filming roughly the same (laughs) age as john krasinski and only five years younger than ed helms um which kind of blew my mind because i was like no she looked like a high school student to me like she like the casting there was really Mm -hmm. because often i feel like you know they cast high school students and they look like they're in their late 20s which drives me crazy but anyway that kind of blew my mind but
1: yeah she did look young i love when she says um i have to go to spanish yes because that is just the most um high school thing like it just so puts her into the high school world and out of
0: andy's world and i love jim's like not important uh, who's that guy she was talking to at her locker not important
1: yes <laughs> not
0: dating her because it's a felony <laughs> But who was that guy? Probably another high school student. Like, and so, yeah, I think, I mean, I like the fantasy here that maybe Andy was at the yogurt stand in the mall. He's like, you know, chatting them up and like hangs out with these high school kids because he has the same maturity level. He's desperate for friends and maybe they're kind of pranking him a little bit or something. I don't know. Um, which is a brutal thought. Uh, I don't know. But um yeah, I, I really also laughed at the uh full page ad in the in the uh, yearbook um
1: <laughs>
0: with two Some words.
1: words. Uh uh-huh.
0: <laughs> 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 oh, boy. Um well, I think I think that's it for me. I don't have much else on this one. Do you have any any other big points or things you want to read into the record?
1: Um I guess just one maybe one thing well two things actually yep definitely two yuppers so when they get back in the car though jim and andy and andy is feeling really down he's been really defeated by this day and jim asks you want music andy i don't care come on man just give it a couple days i think you'll be all right yeah and then andy i'm sorry jim starts singing that um lion sleeps tonight song but he just starts going oh we it oh we it oh we moe and waiting you know for andy to jump in and take his part with the acapella and i felt like jim was really kind of obnoxious earlier in the episode and i just thought that this was really really sweet speaking to andy in his own acapella language and once andy does jump in on it then and they sing together it's just a really sweet moment it's charming
0: yeah and i do think it we're meant to see um yeah jim as essentially a good person Mm -hmm. you know he's annoyed by this guy but he's not cruel um yeah
1: yeah so that was one thing my other thing this is actually probably my highlight of the entire episode the part that i thought was funniest And this is when Dwight and Michael, they're in, they're in Michael's office and he's preparing for the apology video. And it is the amount of hairspray that Dwight puts onto Michael's hair.
0: Yes.
1: Oh my God. I timed it. It is a full 10 seconds of just spraying this bottle of hairspray. That is a long time. And Michael's hair is like, it's already set. He's not moving. He's not about to go into an Olympic figure skating competition. Um, It is the most absurd amount of hairspray and it is wonderful.
0: So funny. So funny.
1: (laughs) There's a kind of a touching type of intimacy sometimes between (laughs) Dwight and Michael, that friendship, you know, I'm just thinking about the kind of the kind of friend who puts that much hairspray on your hair. And there's something I don't know kind of moving about that
0: yeah for sure, for sure.
1: <laughs> it's like the person who's there who helps you get ready for like getting married or you know for some big event where they're into that domestic like caretaking aspects of you you know when it's friend and not like a professional hairstylist <laughs> it's, it's just incredibly wonderful totally <laughs> so i think it's time for us to go to chili's and give out some dundies
0: uh. I'm I'm hungry for the chilies. Um, hmm. This one's tough for me. I want to go rogue, but... I don't want Do to... you want me to go first? Yeah, you go first.
1: Okay. So I'm going to give a Dundee. I cannot believe we haven't talked about this person Ethan, because I thought this was the most obvious Dundee. Oh. This is the Enthusiastic Instructor Award, which goes to Kelly Kapoor. Kelly... Um, not sure how i've even overlooked her in the discussion so far so kelly really comes to the fore in this customer service crisis because she is good at customer service i am remembering when um jim and dwight were out on a sales call and they had the to kind of show what dunder mifflin customer service was like they called and kelly picked up and said you know, Dunner Mifflin Customer Service, this is Kelly, or whatever it was, and just seeing those glimpses of how she was good in the past. And now she gets to step into the lead. She is training the others. Um, and she says in her interview, she says, This day is bananas, B-A-N-A-N-A-S, this day is bananas. And then she takes the lead and she is just very calmly and kindly trying to teach Angela to be a better apologizer. And she is so patient with her. She is so supportive, but also clear and specific in her corrections. And so I think Kelly is a big star of this episode. And so for that reason, I give her the Enthusiastic Instructor Award.
0: Um, Wow, I I, I love that. And I remember thinking when we saw that scene with Kelly um, kind of teaching them to, I was like, oh, I got to ask Megan about like, pedagogy. And like, it's a thing I like to, I want to keep coming back to in the show is like scenes of teaching and would give us a chance to talk about teaching. But my favorite moment there is, yeah, when Angela is like frustrated and she's like, I love your enthusiasm, you know, uh, or or, or, the you have so many good qualities. (laughs) Angela's like super rude. Yeah, that's it. You have so many good qualities. The money you might want to work on is apologizing. And I just kept thinking about like, I don't know if you've ever like, tried to struggle to give, you know, like we're supposed to give some positive feedback and some constructive mm-hmm. criticism in our feedback. And sometimes I'm like, good effort, <laughs> or you have a great attitude. Like, <laughs> uh, anyway, um, yeah. So, uh, but you know, it doesn't always happen, uh, that I give this person a Dundee, but when I do, I feel like it's, it's, they really have to earn it they really have to deserve it. It's not an easy win for me. Um, but the uh um uh the heart of gold ethics award goes to Michael Scott.
1: <laughs> oh,
0: my gosh. Yeah please yeah. elaborate. I just uh, I I appreciated his uh you know efforts to seemingly and genuinely take responsibility. And, you know, if the customer had been like, all right, you know, I'm getting some free paper and thanks so much would have been great. Uh, you know, unfortunately she called for him to be fired <laughs> and he overreacted to that. But still <laughs> I thought it's what I appreciated is it's not that he didn't take some responsibility. Uh, yeah. It's that he balked at that. He should be the the one to, be fired or whatever so anyway but i and also i felt that he was the engine of the episode in Mm -hmm. every respect like if he doesn't insist on everybody sort of performing accountability then the plot doesn't really happen um so that's my other my other thought there but yeah michael scott this week a dundee winner
1: dundee winner i love that You know, can I give also one honorable mention? Of course. This is definitely not at Dundee level. It's a very small thing. But I want to recognize this moment where I think Oscar is adorable. And it is when um, Kevin and Oscar are talking to Angela. And um, let's see, Kevin says to her, uh, yeah, well, at least I didn't suck at customer relations um Angela Oscar says yes gives an air five Angela says you two are apes and then Oscar says I expect you to apologize for that Angela Angela I'm sorry you were both morons Kevin oh but you still said I'm sorry Angela I called you morons Kevin still said it and then Oscar the way Oscar says still said it so he he just has this really cute face and I I just thought that was a such a nice Oscar moment it just made me smile
0: I love that too. Yeah, no, it was very charming. There's a lot of great little moments in this episode. Like, yeah, I don't know that the story itself is that good, but the beats along the way are really fun. Um, Well, we will be back next time for season three, episode 22, Women's Appreciation, which Mm -hmm. sounds like going to be right up our alley and give us a chance to talk about gender, which is a
1: subject we never really explore on this podcast. (laughs) all right well i'm looking forward to it thank you for listening everybody
0: thanks bye